Now, he goes on to say here in verse 21, make you perfect. He outlines who this God is. He's the God of peace. He's the God who raised up Christ from the dead and who through the blood of the everlasting covenant makes us perfect. Now, this verse 21, you can write over perseverance of the saints. This wonderful doctrine of security that when you are in Christ saved today, you are saved for all eternity. The believer is not left alone. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and the verse we were speaking of there is Hebrews 13.21. Make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This persevering of the saints is based upon the everlasting covenant. You can read of that in the verse 20. And so today we're going to be ministering on this wonderful, comforting, reassuring message on the perseverance of the saints through the covenant of grace. It is the work of the Lord. It is the mercy of the Lord at work in the hearts of his own redeemed who are bought by the blood. Our Calvary word today is vicarious. The Lord Jesus became our Savior, taking our place upon the cross, and he died for us vicariously. And we will just explain that toward the end of the program today. And we have two beautiful hymns, Amazing Grace and alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. So that's our program today, and we're going soon now to our pulpit ministry here at the Free Presbyterian Church at Cloverdale, and this is Pastor Ian Golliher. I do appreciate the opportunity to minister the Word of God from the Scriptures of Truth. May the Lord write his word on your heart. So open your Bible at Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Air for the sheep. We're also to do so by example. You'll notice there um, in the verse 17, they that do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. Now that is the leadership, the pastor, the eldership of the church, uh, they walk honestly, and they minister to the flock by example. And that is the greatest ministry of all. It's not what we say, it's what we do. It's not just our words, it's our walk, our life example that counts as we seek to be uh, God's minister to his people. And then in verse 19, you'll notice that we do so as personally present. The apostle said, But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. And that's why this, he had to write this letter, 
because he was not present. There was a distance and time between the people and the pastor. And so his prayer, and they asked the people to pray for this, that he might be restored to them sooner. And so the pastor should be in the midst. He should be walking in the fellowship of the congregation. And in doing that, he becomes an encouragement to the people. Now, in the book of Jeremiah 3, verse 15, we have that promised, I will give you shepherds or, or pastors after my own heart. And we need to pray that today in the Lord's church, God will raise up men and pastors and elders who will truly care for the flock. You remember how the Lord Jesus in Matthew 9, when he saw the, the people as sheep scattered without a shepherd, that he was filled with compassion for those sheep. And we wonder in Canada, as the Lord looks upon the cities and the towns of this country, and there are people without a pastor, without a, a shepherd, without the gospel, then the Lord surely has great compassion. And we need to pray that God will send men and raise up churches where Christians will be shepherded and guided into the truth and the fellowship of God's church. Now, let's move to verse 20, and here we have God's care through the great shepherd. Now, this is a benediction. It's also a prayer. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Now, this text is effectively the close of the whole book, and therefore you have an amen at the end of verse 21, and you have this great prayer or benediction at the end. Now, remarkably, you will see how the author here refers to God as the God of peace. What a great title. What a great God we serve and worship. He's the God of peace. That's his nature. And that is his will for his people. He purchased peace by the blood of Jesus, and he gives peace to every one of his people. And you'll notice that that peace is guaranteed to us through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, think Jewish for a moment. Think of what these words would mean to people who grew up in Judaism, who watched animal sacrifices, who watched priests do their work, and to be reminded here that in the New Testament church, that they were bought, sealed, redeemed, and cared for through the blood of the everlasting covenant. These people were not losing by leaving Judaism, but rather they were gaining, and gaining so much. Now, he goes on to say here in verse 21, make you perfect. 
He outlines who this God is. He's the God of peace. He's the God who raised up Christ from the dead and who through the blood of the everlasting covenant makes us perfect. Now, this verse 21, you can write over perseverance of the saints, this wonderful doctrine of security that when you are in Christ saved today, you are saved for all eternity. The believer is not left alone. It is not salvation by divine power, and then we move on to live by human power. New believers need to know that. And these Jewish converts to Judaism certainly needed to know that because they, they felt awkward. They felt out of place. They lost the sounds, the sights of the religion of their heritage. And people are not called to give up their nationality to be a Christian. If you're German, Dutch, British, American, whatever your nationality is, you're not asked to give it up to be a Christian. But in Judaism, it was their heritage. It was their national identity. It was their culture, the very food they ate, the very details of their lives were dictated by Judaism. And of course, many of them that were man-made commandments that were add-on, layer upon layer upon those things. And they were very often needed to be stripped from those things as well. And so for a New Testament Christian to be given a word of assurance like this, that this God of peace who raised up Christ from the dead who through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect, equip you. That's what this word perfect means here. Does not mean perfect sanctification. Does not mean sinlessness, but that he will equip you in every good work. Every good work to do his will. And you'll see how that's done. Working in you. Working in you. That's the Christian's life. It's the grace of God. It is God by his spirit. It's God by his direct power working in you. You are not a completed product. You are a work in progress. You are being sanctified more and more. You are being delivered from the things of this world to the things of God more and more. And he, God, is continually working in each of our lives. That's the great doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Now, I could give you many wonderful texts. Philippians 1, 6, He that had begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that ties right in to this truth of the blood of the everlasting covenant. Here's one I'd ask you to look up. 
Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if the apostles stop there, where would that leave us? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Without the cross? Without the blood? Without the Holy Spirit? No. No, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 goes on to say, For, because it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's why we pray to know God's will. That's why we ask God to lead us as a shepherd leads the sheep. We are always in need of the shepherd's care. And again, this is a great statement to a Jewish mind because the word shepherd comes up so often. Moses was called a shepherd. He was the shepherd to Israel. Cyrus was a shepherd, although he was not a Jewish man, but he was used of God to direct the people back to Jerusalem. And, of course, many of the prophets were referred to as shepherds. And so people with a Jewish mind, when they were to hear that Jesus is the great shepherd who is working in us the will of God, just as the shepherd leading the sheep to the pasture by day, safely back to the fold at night, you can see the comfort, the ministry of care that that would bring to these people. And we must draw from this. Now, I have been hammering and propounding the issue of the Jewish mindset, the Hebrews, to whom this letter was written. But that letter is also written for us. Let us not lose the application to our own hearts, because it's written for our security, our assurance that when we are in Christ, we are sealed by this blood of the everlasting covenant. And here is the best ministry for the Lord's redeemed people in the local church, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And you can put that little lamb into the flock of the church so it will be fed and nurtured. And that lamb will learn of the great shepherd. What comfort and assurance that brings to the heart. And so let us look for the Lord to be at work in his church. That's why God has ordained and instituted the ministry of the local church. That's why we need the preaching of the word. That's why we need prayer. We need prayer meetings where God's people call on God fervently and where the saints are encouraged in the things of the Lord. And our Savior is 
all-sufficient, sufficient for the needs of each and every day. And we have this assurance that the Lord will be with us. Well, it says here, forever and ever, to whom be glory forever and ever. And the Lord perfects, he equips us for that great day. Now, thinking about the perseverance of the saints, I came across these two very good quotes by Mr. Spurgeon. And he says, I think few doctrines more vital than that of the perseverance of the saints. For if ever one child of God did perish, or if I knew it were possible that one could, I should conclude at once that I must. And I suppose each of you would do the same. And then there is, where is the joy and happiness of the gospel? And the final quote, if anybody could possibly convince me that final perseverance is not a truth of the Bible, I should never preach again. It would be a lost message because you could be saved now, lost tomorrow. Saved this minute, lost the next minute. You could sin once and lose your soul. And perseverance of the saints is one of those precious doctrines that we must rejoice in. And what a marvelous thing at the close of this book of Hebrews that you have this great emphasis that there is personal security in the Lord Jesus. And if you're redeemed tonight by the blood, if you're saved by grace, you are sure of heaven. Not a doubt. Don't let the devil rob you of that blessed assurance that it is well with your soul and that you will see the King and join with him in the land of glory.
You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and again we come to Calvary. We're coming closer day by day to Easter, and we want just to meditate on the work of our Lord Jesus upon that cross. The word vicarious is an important word to understand when we think of Jesus dying on our place, on the cross, in our place, as our substitute. It was a vicarious. A vicar is someone who is deputed to carry out a project. And Jesus dying as a vicar, or vicariously, it was rendered by the Lord Jesus for his people. His death was not just for himself, but for his people as a substitute. Now, that death involved suffering. That's an essential element in the atonement. Christ on the cross refused to have his pain deadened. His sufferings were penal, or they were the affliction of our sins on account of his bearing our sins in his own body. It was also objective, and this is the important part where we talked about propitiation, that Jesus offered an objective sacrifice, and it is to turn away God's wrath. The impact of the cross made its impression upon God the Father, the judge of all the earth. And that death of Jesus changed the wrath of God, his disfavor, into his favor toward us. It rendered it possible for the God of grace to be gracious to us because Jesus paid the price, bore the penalty, and rendered the debt due to us uh, as nil. Now, it's also definite. Christ made atonement with a definite purpose in view, and that purpose was to save sinners. This view is in sharp contrast with those views that make salvation merely possible. But definite atonement emphasizes that in his death, Christ was actually the substitute and surety of all for whom he died. It was not theoretical. It was not just a supposed death, but it was realized and it was complete. And of course, it was for his people that he offered himself there upon that cross. And we might add that Jesus' death on the cross was successful. He cried out on the cross, it is finished. Hallelujah. The work was done and the payment was offered. There is no more payment required. It is a work that will never be repeated and a work that has been accepted by God. And so it is successful. Will you put your faith today in the precious blood of Jesus, the atoning work that he accomplished there on Calvary? And what was accomplished by Jesus must be applied to your heart. And I bid you and invite you to come put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior 
so that you might enjoy all the benefits of Calvary's redemption. And so as we come toward the Easter season, I want you to have a a clear picture in your mind of what Jesus accomplished and what benefits come to us as believers in him. We have peace, we have pardon, we have justification, and it is the basis of our sanctification as well. When we grow in grace, the more we apply the blood, the more we look onto the sacrifice of Christ, the more power we enjoy in our Christian lives. So may the Lord bless you today through his words. Stay with us as we have this closing item in song. listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you 
the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway, on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak.